This is the one with a crystal meth factory. Disco werewolves on a spaceship. A hobo in his pajamas. And no evil planet. It's called Planet of Evil. Here Here we go. We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Dalent, Hood, and the Cybertronic race. Sontarans look like taters and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS. We're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and read on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal road. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? Shazam! Podcast land, and welcome to another fantastic episode of Who Back When a Doctor Who podcast, or... Docpast. That's right. What a lovely voice is that. Oh, it is the voice of my co-host, Jim. Hello, Jim. Hello, and welcome to the voice of Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Tempted to add an echo to that. (laughs) And I am Leon, and you are listening to a review of, or will soon be listening to a review of, Planet of Evil. Yeah, that naughty evil planet. Oh, is it though? Is it really evil? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) But we will get into all of that. Would you like to say anything high level, as we are wont to do, anything high level about your take on this serial before we jump into a bite-sized chunk of who? General high level is at the moment, I really like this serial. I know, me too. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. I was very, oh, I was very skeptical. Have to see what happens after... We've ripped it apart for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I look forward to each of us lowering their score by at least five points. Uh, decimal point. Oh, whatever. Shall we jump into a bite size chunk of Let's do that. Time for us to synopsize, clarify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite size chunk of who. Bite size chunk of who. Responding to a distress call, the Doctor and Sarah Jane Smith arrive on the planet of Zeta Minor, where a team of scientists under the supervision of Professor Sorensen has been mining for antimatter crystals as an alternative source of near-limitless energy. One by one, the team is hemorrhaging members, though, as they fall victims to a seemingly evil being roaming the swampy surface. A starship led by arsehat controller Salomar and buff granddad Vashinsky arrives to pick up the team. But when they find only Sorison, the TARDIS team, and a pile of dead dudes, they hold Doc and Sarah responsible and take them off Zeta Minor. The killings follow them aboard the ship, though, and something appears to not want to permit them to leave. Be scow over, you are welcome. Aren't you just? Wow. Wow, we. Wowie indeed. This is a story, a, a multifaceted, a relatively basic, but still multifaceted story. Definitely. I mean, we go through all the stages of, is it actually going to be a planet of evil? And is there maybe like an indigenous population that is avenging this, you know, is it basically dances with wolves on this planet? Is it Avatar? And then it turns into, no, is it kind of a zombie thing? Someone's been infected. Is it a Dr. Jackal and Mr. Hyde? And it turns into alien aboard a spaceship. It's freaking awesome yeah it comes at you from all angles yeah and we've got a starship enterprise ish thing <laughs> rent enterprise slightly low, more, low, low rent budget. starship <laughs> enterprise <laughs> but still very nice it's brilliant apart from the very first uh shot of the, the starship coming towards the planet that was particularly low budget oh really <laughs> i quite liked it <laughs> It, had, it even has the two, sort of, like the two nacelles yeah, of does, the Enterprise. <laughs> oh, 
Man, I love this. And we're in 1975, we established. Yes. Uh, I think October, is it? Yeah, the, the fourth episode aired in October 1975. Star Trek, the original series, was airing when? The original? Is that not 60s? Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. way off. Everyone's standing on the shoulders of giants. Giants. Because <laughs> we normally get into trivia a bit later, but I, yeah. after reading this trivia, I was so kind of like, oh my God, this makes perfect sense now. Because mm-hmm. apparently this whole thing was written as two separate ideas. Oh, really? One is a very obvious Jekyll and Hyde story. Oh, right. Okay. And one is a homage to The Forbidden Planet. Yes, that I saw as well. Yeah. And I can only vaguely remember watching The Forbidden Planet. I don't remember the details that well. But I I looked up a clip of the, I think it's the id monster it's called, which is this invisible thing which has this outline-y kind of shimmery effect, which is so on the nose what the, the monster looks like the first time we see on Planet of Evil. Do you mean Predator Admiral Akbar? Yeah. <laughs> I've really wanted to see that thing, actually, without the effect of... I, know. I feel like it's probably really terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but with that effect, it was gorgeous. It's beautiful, yeah. But it's, it's in- interesting that they set this up intentionally as a, as a homage. And like when you kind of pick it apart or just put your brain to it, having known that those things are there, it's then really obvious. Then you can't ob- see it. Yeah, it's yeah. really obvious. I mean, the Jekyll and Hyde thing is incredibly clear. Yeah. I took it, though, it was actually a kind of reverse Jekyll and Hyde because it was almost, he was drinking stuff to stop himself. Oh, okay, yes, that to is. To, like, revert rather than turn into. That is true. But the, the main, the good persona is, uh, is the doctor or the professor. Yeah. It's Professor Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde. But yeah, I thought I thought that was a really really interesting concept. And but when you say that there were two separate stories here, do you, do you mean there are two separate homages in one story, or that it was originally envisioned as two entirely separate stories? No, I'm pretty sure the trivia says that it's always intended to be in this one story. Gotcha. They they intentionally melded these two concepts. They wanted it to not just have. I think um, there's someone that's uh, Philip Hinchcliffe is kind of. I think the Lynch, the showrunner, linchpin of it. Yeah, yeah, producer. And he apparently wanted to move away from the one monster in a robbery costume uh-huh. kind of thing. And this was a way of getting around that. That was, we'd take two ideas, meld them together a bit, and like you wouldn't think it would work. Like The first thing I kind of thought when I read this, is like, if, I'd, if I'd done this the other way around, if I'd read the trivia and then watched the episode, I probably would have been, say my expectations pretty low of like, oh, they've tried to meld two things together. That is just going to be a mishmash of rubbish. But it works incredibly well. It does, I think so. So this was written by Lewis Marks, whom we looked up online right before pressing record. And he's written three other stories, three other Doctor Who stories, uh, two of which we have already reviewed on Who Back When. And the first one, you said standing on the shoulders of giants. Mm. The, the first one that he wrote was Planet of Giants. Nice. The William Hartnell serial. And that one also has entirely disparate stories oh, right. that one just sort of happens in the background of the other. In that one, it's it's a fantastic serial to watch. It's very much inspired by the whole, you know, the is it called Planet of Giants or Land of the Giants, the TV show? It was very much a sort of lost in space-ish TV series. Anyway, so in that one, the TARDIS gets shrunken. They oh, are on wow. Earth and it, it gets shrunken. And that's the whole thing. Like they have to unshrink themselves uh, or they have to get back to the TARDIS and unshrink themselves there are giant ants there are giants you know matchboxes and whatever but then in the background there's a murder mystery like they happen to materialize at the scene of a crime and we just have this entirely separate story and in this one also I feel that maybe this is the maybe this is the mark of Lewis Marx of taking 
many different, or at least dual themes and smushing them together in a way that works seamlessly. Maybe it is. He's actually credited for the fact that antimatter is involved as well. Apparently he'd been reading some science magazines. Oh, really? like, oh antimatter's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I was generally quite interested to read about the production of this. Hmm. A lot of times the trivia is just sort of like, you know, throw away little bits. That, yeah. yeah, but this sound, sounded like something that genuinely they'd strive to do something different and it paid off. Got to commend them for that. The other thing that uh-huh. I thought really paid off in this serial was... I think they refer to it in the production stuff as the jungle. Oh, yes, theme. the set on set. Zeta Minor. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Isn't it amazing? And I, my Star Wars vibes were going off. Cause oh, I bet this, they this were. This was like Dagobah. Dagobah all over again. And a little bit kind of uh, <laughs> trash compactor scene as well. Oh, also, yeah, you're kind right. Of, kind of felt like that. But I think mainly because there was water around and stuff. Yeah, I, I can't remember. I, I, I just skimmed the trivia. I can't remember the name of the chap who did the set design or the production design, but... Hinchcliffe specifically picked him because he did like swamps really well. Or he did no, he did jungles really well, or something like that. Yeah, I think there was another another thing I read that's saying that they took photos of it, and every time they were making sets from then on, they would say, "Look, look this, this is, is what, we, what we can do. <laughs> You've got to get it to this level." It was their it was their new like literal photographic bar to aim for. Here we go. I found him, Roger Murray Leach. Philip Hinchcliffe has remarked that he approached Roger Murray Leach to find out what sort of landscape he could do best in a studio. Murray Leach remarked that he could, quote, always do a good jungle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's gorgeous. It's not just elaborate, but it looks like they've spent so much time and effort on it and probably a yeah. lot of money on it as well. In fact, sets in general, production values in this serial for a four episode arc. Yeah, I think they're pretty incredible. They're absolutely fantastic. The spaceship is humongous. We get lots of different sets in there. We get the miniature spaceship, the exterior. Yeah. The jungle, obviously. There's the little landing party ship, which is is just a room, but... Sure, but still. We've got that as well. That's completely fine, yeah. It has the swinging doors on the outside. It's like someone's <laughs> porch. <laughs> we get the interior of the TARDIS for the first time in ages. I was genuinely kind of looking at it thinking... Has this changed, or have I just not seen it for a very long time? Yeah, like we it, haven't seen it. This yeah. is Tom Baker's very first TARDIS interior. Is it really? Yeah. Is, that, is that why it felt so weird? And yeah, and how beautiful is it? It's stunning. Yeah. So is this a new interior, or is this, this still... It is a perfect? new interior. It is? Yeah, okay. it, it looked a little different with... Um, so there's only one thing that I know is different, and that is... And I can't claim to have observed this myself, but in the in the trivia, they say that this serial was recorded, even though it, it happens before Pyramids of Mars, it was recorded after Pyramids of Mars. So Pyramids of Mars was the first time that they actually used the TARDIS set. Uh, okay. And there's meant to be, presumably, I don't remember this, but in Pyramids of Mars, there's the scanner. So there's the TV screen that they use to monitor the outside. And in this one, they just forgot to add it on because it doesn't feature in the script, I guess. So that's the only thing that differs, as I can recall, from Pertwee's TARDIS. He had a scanner. And in fact, every prior Doctor as well had a scanner. Oh, I see. But they still have the roundels. The doors are the same that they've always been on the insides. Those massive white doors that open in. That's perfect. And did Tom Baker get a different outfit? Or is he just not wearing his coat? He's he was, not wearing, he was wearing his a coat. jacket. Yeah, exactly. It's like a long jacket. And I also feel like he has a cravat that yeah, I it, don't know if he was wearing before. No, this this felt like quite a different look for him. It felt a little bit like a disheveled Paul McGann. Oh, I know what you mean, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it 
kind of struck me that this this actually felt a bit different in this serial. Yeah, things and it felt. I don't know. I think I was I was enjoying it more because the Doctor and Sarah Jane. It was just those two again as well. There wasn't a third wheel. That's true. <laughs> Which I think had been making a difference that necessary didn't pick up on all the time. In such a small story or short story, it might not really. It, it, Harry would have gotten in the way. Yeah. Or he would have been underwritten as a consequence of the brevity of this story. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And it, but it meant that we got to see Sarah Jane and the Doctor having a better relationship. And Yes, we did get to see their relationship, but we did not get Sarah Jane doing very much, I felt. No, that's she probably true. Underused. She, yeah. she, she was popping up there and again and doing the usual, I think. Mm, no, maybe not. I was trying to think she was helping people see the light, but I'm not sure if she was really. I think, I think everyone was kind of bowing down to the Doctor's I well, think knowledge so too, of things. Yeah. Yeah. She was kind of a messenger a lot of the time. She would enter a room and provide exposition of stuff that we'd already seen, but two characters who were not there to see it themselves. Like she yeah. would show up and go, oh, the doctor said this, or the doctor thinks that Sorensen is to blame or whatever. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I, I remember one thing when she, she enters a room and someone is like, where's the doctor? <laughs> I don't want to talk to you. And she just goes, I have no idea, actually. <laughs> but Cut to the I've got all this stuff to tell you. <laughs> This may have been the point, by the way, it dawned on me whilst watching this. This may have been the point when, as a kid, obviously, I started to have a real horn for Sarah Jane Smith. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a nice little outfit on in this. She does. I mean, it's, there's a lot of denim going on, and, but she has the sort of denim corset, which I know younger me would have gone crazy for. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the whole Planet of Evil thing. I, I right. think there is one reference early on that Sorensen... Or someone else in that in that early on, where there's three people left alive. Yeah, that what is saying this planet's evil. Like, oh, when he says it's it's alive. Yeah, yeah, it's you're alive right. and it's watching us, and and then that nothing ever happens with that that line of thinking. <laughs> that is true. I think that's just a massive. I think I think it's just a misnomer. Yeah, it, it it or possibly it's meant to be a red herring. The planet is only what parts one and two of the really mainly parts one and two of this four-parter so maybe it's meant to lead you astray as the audience to lead you down the wrong path so that you think oh well there's no way this is going to turn into an alien aboard a spaceship story yeah i guess that's true though more likely it's just a misnomer i don't know they're they're not really good at death to the daleks (laughs) yeah Uh, (laughs) so we find ourselves on this planet how long have the people been on this planet Sorensen and his team i believe there's Allusions to the fact that they've been down there a couple of months. A couple of months, they've lost one person. Is it, is it just one that's gone at the start? At the very start, there's just one. Lorenzo is the one who's died, they say. Oh, it, do you remember the last time something that we missed nightfall? Yeah, Lorenzo bosses. Oh, right. You know? So they've lost one person. So basically, they've been there for ages. Doc and Sarah Jane show up, coincidentally, at that time, all but one person died. <laughs> From a, it was a party of eight, was it, or something like that? Oh wait, I take it back. Yeah, because in the very beginning, Sorensen plants uh, he like he puts down a grave marker basically, and there are three or four of them already in the. Oh, ground. that's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I I think. Yeah, I we, take it back. I think we see th- three or four people, and I think there's meant to be seven or eight of them. So mm. I think half of them have gone. So um, what is happening with Sorensen? He's getting affected by it, isn't he? And but I'm not quite sure. Why? How? He's been snorting that crystal meth, yeah, right? 
He's he's basically going, yeah, all you guys, you do what you want to do. I'm I'm quite happy making this crystal meth. Like it, the planet might eat me, but it's fine. <laughs> but so I mean, at a certain point, he will have he will have started to become affected, and then just gone. This thing, which is planetary scale rocket fuel, I'm going to chop it up into powder, <laughs> pop some water on it, and ingest it. Drink it like coffee. <laughs> this thing that is. A, a canister of it can power an entire planet for millennia. Yeah. I'm going to drink a cup of it. <laughs> yeah, I think I missed this bit. What, like, do we see him actually putting it into the flask and making a liquid? No, so he drinks what looks like coffee, right? Yeah. And then later on, we see the doctor take some of these crystals, put them on a table, uh, and on a tabletop, it genuinely looks like he's going to cut himself alive. <laughs> and then he pours some water on it, and that turns into a coffee-like liquid. So presumably he's been drinking watered down. Well, you're not even watered down. Just, it, you, you think he did it intentionally? Well, what else or, would he have been doing? It, it, it might have been that the the beast inside of him, whatever that is, the id monster. Wait, id? Did you say the id monster? I think I think that's what it's called. Are we talking about like the psychological term, the id? Is that what is coming out of him? I don't know. Him? It may not even be pronounced that way. I just know it's spelled id. Because that might be it. Doesn't that also speak to the whole Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing? Isn't that basically Jekyll's id? I mean, they don't refer to it as the id monster in in Doctor Who as far as I'm aware. No, they don't. But they are obviously, not going to say stealing it, they are (laughs) um, copying it from Forbidden Planet. Sure. But okay, so could it be that this thing inside of him is requesting it, is compelling him to cut himself a line and ingest some antimatter coffee? I don't know. I think... I think that whole kind of setup bothered me a, a little bit. Uh, I don't think it's take, taken away from anything necessarily, but the fact that it, it really seemed to me that he would drink that stuff and he would return back to normal. Yeah, I agree. Um, so maybe maybe it is something different. I don't know. But it, it's not really a clear clear device on, on what's really happening at this point, I don't think. Like, he's he's been affected to it. He could have just been gradually turning into something and it's just... I think it's I meant know. to keep the anti-matter creature at bay because later on the doc is walking around with what looks like half a mocha pot those like metal canisters yeah and he's pushing these creatures away so anti-matter point- bad yeah exactly yeah so he's like no it, it's like having two poles two similarly charged magnets yeah. you know uh, and it somehow repels them so maybe that's what he's doing he's ingesting he's drinking antimatter coffee because the antimatter creature won't take over him. But anyway, returning to the planet, like he is going totally bananas on this planet. He's talking about the planet is evil, the planet is alive, the planet knows what's, what they're up to. The planet has been moving the crystal, like the ore, yeah. around. If they leave, the crystals won't be there anymore. What the fuck? Like, that doesn't happen. Like, I mean, we see no evidence of it. No, true. Well... No, that's a very good point, actually. I think I took it at face value at the time, but then, in retrospect, he was a bit bonkers. So, yeah, he probably just assumed that the the planet had eaten up this, <laughs> this vein of rocks or whatever. Yeah. And, and who is Predator Admiral Akbar? Is he some sort of custodian of this planet? Have, have they Pacific rimmed this hole in the cave and that's what's letting people from the antimatter universe through? I didn't really get what the monster was because it seemed to be the way the doc was talking about stuff that really it was just antimatter was what was going on. That thing was antimatter. The rocks are antimatter. Everything is antimatter. Everything is antimatter. You're right. And 
but they also say that this is the this is the edge of the known universe. This is the sorry of the universe, and it is the meeting point of two universes. Yeah, and that hole presumably is that meeting point. So you think the monster is something that's from the other universe? I think so. Which it, I think it comes out of the hole on a couple of occasions. No, true. And I think it's described. I can't remember what the exact phrase is, but I I took it as opposite. Like that universe is opposite yeah. to ours. Yeah, you're right. So I don't know what the equivalent opposite of that creature is in our, in our universe. <laughs> a tiny little bunny. <laughs> this dude, Sorensen, has discovered a crystal. Goodness knows how he discovered this crystal, by the way, before he arrived on the planet. He went to the planet to harvest a crystal. Some of it would... I can't remember exactly how, like what quantity we're talking about, but he says something like there's... Uh, we have... If we use a bucket of this crystalline whatever, we will have enough power to... um, We will have the power of our sun over 300 years. Like, if we burn a kilogram of it or whatever, that's our sun for 300 years. Yeah, or you you just get off your tits enough to think that's happened. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's a a shit ton of energy. That is an insane amount of energy. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just going to walk around with it in a mocha pot. (laughs) (laughs) And the Starship Enterprise that shows up to pick them up, they don't seem to really know about this. Like, it seems seems strange that that there isn't a greater industrial effort invested in harvesting this ore. Yeah, they... They have very different missions, and they they yeah. talk about this actually very matter of factly. Like they're the military people who are kind of like sent across the galaxy or even the universe, yeah, to pick up the stranded fucking scientists. <laughs> <laughs> it's like stupid knobby Sorensen dicking about on some planet. Where are they from? By the way, more something more. Morstan, Morstran, Morstran. How much Stran? More strand. <laughs> Would you like some more strand? Oh yes, please. More strand, please. <laughs> yeah, I I tried not to think too much about who they were because it wasn't there wasn't a lot of backstory given, and this is also given the the date on the the flag that gets put in front of the grave very early on. Oh, it's the year thirty seven thousand one hundred and sixty six. Yes, that is right. This is very far in the future, and yet. But does it matter? If, I, I, if they're, they're not humans. No, true. Oh, they do reference Earth, though. They say, oh, they might be Earthlings. Oh, is that what they say? Cause I mean, yeah. I know Sarah Jane says, like, we're going to Earth after oh, yeah. already saying we're from Earth. Cause he, and he throws it back and says, oh, I thought you'd come from Earth. Yeah, exactly. Get your story straight. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't know if he ever says it like he understood what Earth was. It's just it had been told to him before. Oh, maybe. I'm not sure. So they've at least encountered... Well, if these individuals specifically haven't encountered Earthlings, then their species at some point has. Something just dawned on me, though. She's the only female character in this entire serial. Yeah, that's true, actually. Holy moly, they're all dudes. Yeah. This is a total sausage fest. They do put in a token black guy, though. They did, yeah. First time in a in a while that we uh, get a black guy with the speaking pass. Yeah, yeah. He has quite a few lines actually. Yeah. I, I thought they might make him live, but no. But no, <laughs> no. Uh, unfortunately, BBC nineteen seventy five. We're not there yet. Yeah, we're getting there. When when the first yet. white dude died before him, my hopes went up, but, <laughs> and then he fell in the pit. And I was like, no, <laughs> fuck you, BBC. <laughs> 
<laughs> Fuck you, 1975. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because actually, very few people are alive at the end of this serial. So it's, the chances weren't in his face. I know. I mean, there is a wanton disregard for protagonist lives in this one. Yeah. Characters that, that we have grown to rather enjoy over the course of this serial are just sucked dry. <laughs> <laughs> Including, what's his face, Sancho Panza, the the chunky god. Oh, Dehan. Dehan, who's just complaining about everything. He's such a lovable character. Yeah. And Until I looked up the names, because I can never keep track of names of people while I'm watching this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm putting that out there now. <laughs> I have to go and write them down afterwards. So in my notes, he was snarky military guy. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, he was snarky. Well, he was just... Well, the snark- chunky one. Yeah, it's, it's just like, all <laughs> can- I do is go take this thing this way and then I have to pick it up and take it back again. Can someone get me a light? I have to work in the dark around here. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah, I loved him. I, I was very upset when he got got. Yeah. Yeah, same here. I was half expecting him to, like, pilot the ship at the end. At the very least, he would get a job underneath a light bulb. (laughs) (laughs) We could end with just a pan up to see him just smiling. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I can see where I'm working today. (laughs) There's a lot of nice little attention to detail, though, because he makes the note that there's no light down there because they're saving power because I think at that point the planet's pulling them back. Oh, right. And then the report that someone's been attacked on the ship comes to the main flight deck yeah and they immediately get the command to put all the lights back on so they can oh, go and find them and it's like nice. just a little bit there, there is but yeah lewis marks dude yeah. nice one lewis lou <laughs> did you feel by the way that there are certain parallels to this serial in new who because there's a deaf i mean i'm i certainly got 42 and satan pit vibes i don't have them very fresh in my mind 42 I, in 42 uh, we also have... 42 is the one with the Ood making their first appearance. Oh, okay. And in 42, I'm pretty sure, they're on a spaceship. It's a tenant one. They're on a spaceship, and they're basically held. They're locked. Not in orbit, but they're being pulled in by this impossible planet, yeah. quote-unquote. And they're struggling to, you know, blast out of there. And there's something about this planet. Hell, I, I only remember not liking 42. <laughs> Yeah, there's like a fire planet. No, sorry, it's a sun. And this sun is sentient. So we have a living planet, and it's a living evil planet. There are lots of sort of demonic allusions in that episode. So this is an actual planet of evil. An actual planet of evil, yeah, exactly. Very possibly an an episode that was wildly inspired by this. I feel like there are a lot of similarities there. Satan Pit, obviously, evil planets... And there is an actual pit in that one as well, with an actual evil character living inside it, who is also taking over people. In fact, in fact, wait, hang on. Here's a screenshot from the episode 42. Oh, burning eyes. Burning eyes of of Tennant. Yeah. And here we get the burning eyes of Sorensen. I feel like someone to watch this classic. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. That was a really nice little effect, actually. It's beautiful effects. Like, seeing... Tenant in the new one obviously is a lot better, but... <laughs> oh, whatever. Yeah. No, this was fantastic. How do you reckon they did it? I was thinking maybe they put, like, colourful plastic or something on his eyes and then chroma key to that colour to, like, just blank him, you know, blank his eyes. Yeah, that's what I kind of figured. Maybe There's... superimpose that footage on fire or something, or light. Yeah. I think they're getting better with the, the chroma key type thing, because mm. their big video screen was a big 
uh, oh, that's true. Blended shot. Yeah. Which they did quite a few times, actually. I think they're getting confident with it. It's like, yeah, we can put that in there. It doesn't look naff anymore. <laughs> that's true. Right next to the screen, a classic among a classic Who set design. Just a massive stenciled piece of text on the wall. No unauthorized personnel are beyond this point. Oh, really? Oh, I totally missed like, that. Do you want to talk Vyshinsky and uh, what's his face? What's his face? Salomar. Grandad and arsehole. Grandad and arsehole, yeah. Sure, let's talk about them. <laughs> what do you want to talk about? Well, I mean, I'd like to think that they're in sort of this super aggressive swapsies top and bottom relationship. <laughs> like they're one of those co-workers who really shouldn't, but clearly can't. No, Vishinki, I'm controller this week. <laughs> I mean, it's either that, because there's a lot of tension between those two guys. It's either that or entirely separately. At some point, I would quite have liked Salomar, the controller, to look over at Vashinsky and just go like, you always do this to me, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I was getting a more kind of wise sensei vibe. Oh, really? Wait, really? Yeah. You mean Vashinsky is the wise sensei? Yeah, maybe not quite sensei, (laughs) but you know, that kind of, he's he's the one that trained him, but he was never a leader himself. He was the... Okay. The the army barracks train <laughs> training officer. Oh, he's the <laughs> drop and give me twenty maggots. Yeah, <laughs> that like, guy. He's well a nicer, drill nicer version of the drill instructor. <laughs> yeah, I think that he had that kind of vibe of he knew all the stuff, but he'd he'd never led, which I, I think is what they're going for because yeah. then that's how. Salomar plays it later on is that you don't know how to lead this is how you lead yeah. you pick up shit and <laughs> you walk up you, you pick up like dangerous radioactive material and just walk into the spaceship with yeah. it <laughs> what is he planning on doing what is that thing what is the gadget it's like a m- molecular accelerator or something like yeah, that yeah I think that's what it's called <laughs> okay why do they have one of those on the bridge <laughs> Why is there just like a molecular accelerator it seems to on be, the bridge in a tube? Yeah, it seems to be attached to some tubing, like it's important stuff. Like, don't just rip out the engine and go and waggle it in some alien's face. Oh, so good. <laughs> Neutron accelerator. That's what it's Sorry, that's yeah. what it was, yeah. Yeah, that's like a part of the engine. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well done. Now we're really going backwards towards the planet. <laughs> so we have another beautiful ladder. Oh, I don't know if you if you picked up on this. Is this the one uh, on the bridge? A, 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 no, this is... So there, there are lots of beautiful ladders on the bridge itself. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, but when they go outside, there is a, a lovely lowering ladder, oh. which, which they feel compelled to show us again for about 10 seconds every oh, time. I think I know the shot, but I did not think about it at the time. Yeah, I'd, it's, I found it a bit weird because I think generally, as we said already, the sets in this are amazing. Yeah. This... It's not your most amazing part of the set. Why, yeah, someone can lower down a piece of wire. Well done. But then when they pull it up again, like they, they climb down this ladder, there's a little gangway, and then there's another ladder, and then you get down oh, right, basically yeah. to the plant. Yeah. The other ladder is fixed. Like that's just on the exterior of the spaceship. So why do you have a lowering basically still aboard the spaceship? Yeah. And it's <laughs> it's not like it's one of the kind of... UFO type ladders that forms a seal around the spaceship. It's just a ladder. It's just a ladder. <laughs> and it's just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure about this this little bit of the set. <laughs> but the spaceship, it's, I mean, the spaceship is enormous. Yeah, it seems so. It seems as though it's been filmed inside a warehouse or something. I mean, there are staircases and swing doors and all kinds of stuff in there. Yeah. It's just like a building, a building flying through space. And in that regard, it feels incredibly realistic. Yeah. Do you know if I, I think. I mean, 
the the corridors may be a little bit too compact, I, okay. I think, at times. But yeah, because I, I think seeing the outdoor scene where they literally go down a ladder, there's another gangway, go down a ladder. <laughs> that gets you the, the kind of feeling of scale with the ship. Yeah. It's not maybe city size, but it's it's big. It's still, yeah. I'm not sure if the the control room, flight deck, bridge, whatever term you want to put it, with the awkward scaffold, steps on- scaffolding steps... <laughs> And then doors underneath the steps yeah. and door at the top. And I don't know, that didn't quite get the same kind of scale to me. But is is that just overcompensation in some form? Is it is it that the person or the person's in charge? Because upstairs we have the controller and we have his, his number one, Buff Grandad. Yeah. And I think maybe just those two. Is it just that they have to loom over their subordinates? Because standing up there fulfills no function, really. Well, they... There is a door up there, though. There is a door up there, uh, which they use from time to time. Yeah, well, okay, because I only... I remember Ashat taking the radioactive flashlights and then exiting without going downstairs. He just exits out the back. I was like, oh, fuck, have you been climbing stairs all this time? (laughs) You just, like, enter there. (laughs) Yeah, they do. They do go in out in out of it a bit, not as much as the awkward one that's under the stairs. Yeah, which um, the Han is unfortunately slightly too large to get through and has to duck <laughs> awkwardly a bit. That's so good. <laughs> Did feel sorry for him. Uh, there are more. Th- I've, I'm looking at my notes here. There are more things about the starship and the crew and the look and feel of that whole element of the 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 series uh, or serial that I found incredibly impressive. The lights on their weapons. Their weapons in general, they're like, yeah. pyong, 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 like just the little light effects. Super nice. The outfits, the massive shoulder pads, the weirds, fluffy like Flash fighting. Gordon thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm assuming that... Have you seen the Flash Gordon film with um, Max von Sydow as Ming the Merciless? Yes. Probably like the only one, actually, now that uh, I think I was about say, it. I'm, so the only other I'm ones hoping are, this is the right one. I don't know actually who played in the Mercedes. I'm assuming there are only black and white ones aside from that. Actually, yeah. I take it back. I ignore my reference. But like in that one, I'm imagining that the soldiers, Ming the Merciless's soldiers, wore these kinds of outfits as underwear. Like it's it's that kind of thing. <laughs> like ri- ridiculously tight, but then they also have all this. Oh, it, no, it's beautifully spacey. They are. They're the underpants that Fry dreams about in Futurama. If, there you if go. People know that. <laughs> there you go, yes. <laughs> like Astro pants, I feel what they're called. <laughs> they literally have like piping around the, the kind of V-line. Because <laughs> why wouldn't they? Because <laughs> that's comfortable. <laughs> Is there a Zab Brannigan element to this as well? I mean, we have uh, Salomar, who's way too cocky for his own goods. Yeah. I mean, he's an arsehole. Zab Brannigan is, an, is a different kind of arsehole. He doesn't try and pick up Sarah Jane though he doesn't know Zab Brannigan definitely would have no but he's he's in a relatively committed weird (laughs) (laughs) menage a granddad (laughs) 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 okay that's going in the show notes (laughs) that's brilliant Uh, okay another thing about the the spaceship or the Starfleet whatever that was amazing Uh, the oculoid tracker oh my god yes I love that thing Holy shit. <laughs> Did you get Blade Runner vibes? Blade Runner 20, whatever it is. Oh, I've only seen that once. 2360. Yeah, same here. But he also has like the thing, it detaches from his car, it's this drone, whatever. Uh, okay. And here we have, I mean, it just follows the doctor around on the planet, I guess, but it feels very modern, the kind of shot where they've attached it to a crane, presumably, yeah. right underneath the camera, and it's just panning over. It's beautifully shot. I really, I couldn't help but think, 
this is what they need to do sometimes. They need to just say, you know what? We don't need to film a location. We don't need to overcomplicate things. Yeah. We just need to build some awesome sets and work out how to do our lighting and, and camera work. Yeah. And they did it and nailed it. I mean, this is probably more expensive still than traveling somewhere. Quite possibly. Do you think of a Sontaran experiment? They just went camping yeah. for a weekend. I mean, yeah. As for four episodes, like there was a lot of stuff yeah. that they're not going to reuse, I would imagine. Probably not. Like that jungle set probably just got trashed afterwards. Either that, or th- maybe know. they just have like random plants now in a in a storage room. Like, oh, this is the this is the plant cupboard, and next time they have a jungle, they just take some of those plants and put them in a slightly different configuration. They yeah, can still maybe, reuse maybe. that stuff. I wonder if maybe the spaceship itself was actually just the BBC. Like, it's just an office building. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. <laughs> someone's always ducking through that door every morning with three cups of coffee. Yeah, someone's there in a tie. <laughs> <laughs> Who wanted sugar in their tea? <laughs> and that's why there's the uh, no one throws people beyond this point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That means you, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Joe's always climbing on here with his cup of tea. (laughs) I'm not sure if I was expecting the Oculoid Tracker to have an eyeball, by the way. I mean, I realize it's called the Oculoid Tracker, but it has an actual, honest-to-God eyeball. Yeah. Well, we see that straight away, though. Yeah. It's like like a cat's eye kind of thing. Yeah, as soon as they... In fact, I think close up it looks better than some of the other shots. Some of the other shots almost look like it did get swapped out for a miniature. Like they had a detail one. Oh. I don't know. Oh, well observed. I didn't know. I'm not sure. It may have just been the angles and stuff. I don't know. But yeah, I I liked that thing. Definitely. And I liked that it was... It was just effectively a remote camera. It didn't turn into be like an AI that started attacking people or anything. It was just a camera. Yeah, exactly. And that's what they needed for the situation. It didn't have to be over the top. It just, yeah, let them see what was going on as well. It let them know what we knew without some stupid exposition. Yeah, and without having to put one of their characters somewhere nearby. Yeah. I think this is why why I really kind of just enjoyed this is like everything made sense. Yeah. Like what well, the things that needed to make sense made sense. Like other things you're kind of like, well, I'm not quite sure how the antimatter stuff really works, but you know, for the the context of how things are progressing, I'm going to switch my brain off and go, yes, antimatter turns you into, <laughs> into anti-man. <laughs> That, yeah, that phrase maybe was pretty bad. <laughs> Anti-man. <laughs> Anti-man. I feel a, a different t-shirt design coming up. A reference to the t-shirt design that no one has bought. <laughs> Zarbi Ant-Man. Um, worst death ever? Times three? Wait, worst death ever? The three dudes on the planet that get killed by, at this point, an oh, in- just- invisible monster. Yes, that's true. And they just, they fade out and then they fade back in and they're... Corpsified. Not only that, they look like they've, I mean, even to the doctor, it seems as though they've been dead for months. Yeah. That's his first assumption. Yeah, and it then turns out that they've been dehydrated. Yeah. Which I kind of feel like the doctor should have noticed. He should like, have, right? Like that, that's a different thing. Decomposing versus having all of your water taken out of you. Yeah, I agree. And, okay, so a couple of questions. Why does an antimatter dude take all your regular matter water? Take all your regular matter? Yeah, as in not your antimatter. Not, it's not anti-water, it's water. It's what I, I, I'm not a scientist, dude. <laughs> why, why does an antimatter creature gobble up your water and then put you back, but without it? Yeah, I don't know. I think it would have made more sense if it just gobbled up you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Replaced you with a, an anti-you. An anti-you. Why does it gobble up people, but then it 
jumps into Sorensen's eyeballs. Yeah. See, this is this is the thing that I was quite happily kind of switching my brain yeah. off for. <laughs> so I have no idea why he turns into anti-man. And how, how he does he, towards the end, spoilers, jump into the end, how does he then multiply? And why, why is there one werewolf, like caveman Sorensen, and four or five anti-matter Sorensens? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's never explained. Doc just goes, yeah, yeah, they're multiplying. Uh, how? <laughs> yeah, so I can't take credit for this because I was too stupid to realise the connection. Okay. But reading through Wikipedia, it's because it got zapped by Salomar with the neutron accelerator. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. but the, the, Well, wait, there I, is, I mean, I say that makes sense, but it, <laughs> in the most tenuous way. Exactly. Does, yeah. Like I think the Doctor really should have said, ah, he's been zapped by the neutron accelerator, therefore yeah. he is now multiplying. <laughs> like, <laughs> And we go, okay, wibbly wobbly. Oh, uh, yeah, no, no, yeah. <laughs> Checks yeah. out. <laughs> I think it would have made a teeny tiny bit more sense if Sorensen didn't turn into a caveman. That, to me, was completely unnecessary. Yeah. Why do we do that? And it, to me, harkened back to another episode or another serial that we reviewed, and the the original mention of the Disco Werewolves comes from Inferno. It's a Pertwee serial. Yeah, I think you've mentioned the, this before. Probably, yeah, it's the eyepatch one. That's how it came up, I think. Oh, right, yeah. Anti, an, not quite an antimatter universe, but it's a different parallel parallel universe where everyone's evil and wearing an eye patch or whatever. Anti bagels wears an eye. Patch. Who cares? Whatever, uh, and doesn't have a mustache. That's super <gasps> weird. Yeah. Anyway, what a giveaway. People there drilling into the center of the earth encounter some sludge, some primordial sludge. They touch it, they turn into disco werewolves. Okay, fine. <laughs> in this one there is nothing primeval about it it has n- like there's never a subplot that says we're all going to devolve in some way or it, it yeah exactly like th- there's no devolution as part of the you know the functionality the function of this this energy crystal quite the opposite if anything i would have imagined it's going to super evolve everyone because it just boosts the energy everywhere yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I don't think that was a strong point. I don't think it was necessary that, you know, you, you, it doesn't even look that caveman. You just, I don't know, it gets a bit hairy. There is a fantastic actual disco scene, like the Bee Gees effect of just, he's just standing there. And oh, yeah. The lights of him, you know, I'll pop a screenshot but on the website. But yeah, I, I think I would have preferred him to just turn into predator mode. Yeah, I think I would as well. I think the, the predator effect yeah the id effect whatever you want to call it looks amazing for the devolved uh yes it does you're right devolved Sorensen. because you can tell that it is him at that point towards the end and i think i think it wouldn't have been as impressive if it was just a normal human outline i think the fact that he's he's a bit raggedy and beast-like yeah okay i think makes that look better but I, i feel like they could have got away with it they could have just had that effect it's still kind of ghostly us. i mean it, it yeah there's something spectral about that predator shimmer effect and it, as it, it doesn't speak it only has those clicks actually also very predatory like it just whatever when it shows up uh yeah it kind of it, well I, i'm i'm no drew i don't do sound effects very well <laughs> but I think the effect could probably have like spoken for itself. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I would have been happy to try it. <laughs> yeah, like cause I think, especially like it, you get the the Jekyll and Hyde thing that they're going to, and it doesn't it doesn't have to be actually that in your face. No, that's true. Like because they, they just want to pay a little homage to it. Yeah, 
we don't need to see him turning into a hide like monster we just need to see him turning into something different yeah and yeah, we, and yeah, we exactly. get that with the eyes like the eyes alone are enough that's so much better than anything in fact yeah yeah you're right and then that becomes like it was the first phase thing and the next phase is actually weaker complete, in terms of yeah, ex- yeah yeah exactly yeah which is a shame but total dehydration even the bone marrow is what i've written down and it's a little reminiscent of a there's a toby hooper movie called uh, life force have you seen that I haven't seen it. I think I'm vaguely aware of it. Naked lady like vampire, vampire from space comes to London and drains people of their life force and leaves behind these dry dudes uh, everywhere. See, I have a note, actually. Cause of death, a rapid form of freeze drying. Oh, yeah. That's that's a cool line as well. Yeah. Do you think freeze drying was just kind of new in the public consciousness at that point in 1975? Quite possibly. might have been a nice metaphor to it. Yeah. Yeah. I found in my notes another thing from the Federation, which is beautiful. The Morellian Orthodox funeral. Oh, right. Isn't that amazing? Very Star trek by the way. Yes. So the thing there was he he wanted to know what that dead crew member... His denomination. Denomination, like, yeah. yeah. And and then he's, he said something like... We we can play the choir, we don't have to listen don't to it to, or something So like that. they're basically playing it, what the song in the casket? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. So, like, they respect the dead man's wishes enough to have him, have his send-off be according to his beliefs. Yeah. But they don't give a shit themselves, and they (laughs) don't want to have to listen to it. That's really good. That also adds a level of realism. That Just that line makes it slightly more realistic. I mean, it's realistic in the gritty sense, and, you know, yeah, we do this. It's part of our way of life now. Yeah, I like that. It's... I mean, it's quite, you know, a minor thing. Like, it's not focused on, it's very sort of throwaway even. Yeah. But you're right, it gives it more kind of feeling, more... More depth in a way. Yeah, depth, that's the word I was looking for. (laughs) And it's it's also, I mean, you mentioned the the staircase or the, the ladder scene that they just linger on. The scene with the casket that floats through space is beautiful. And they don't linger on it. It's used very sparingly. Just like, vroom, out of frame, done. Just enough to... To get it. To give a send-off. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's... Yeah. It's treated very well. Like, it's it's a pretty darn serious thing. In fact, like, the fact that we see... We're seeing dead bodies, like, throughout this serial. That is true. And then another random trivia thing I I read. (laughs) Okay. Skipping to the end. Uh Because I didn't super love the ending. I thought it was a bit weak. And apparently, Sorensen was meant to die. He's He's meant to go into the pit, and that's him, game over. And... Someone thought it wasn't nice for the kiddiewinks. Wait, that wasn't nice for the kiddiewinks? What yeah. about the, like, a hundred skeletons that we exactly. just seen? <laughs> <laughs> so that's why he pops up on the side, like, free of the anti-matter beast. Oh, uh, okay. And he lives happily ever after. But a shitload of people died, yeah. and we saw most of them die. <laughs> Thank that's goodness okay. the antagonist survived. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, th- I think it was they. They were trying to show that he was never at fault. Like he was. Yeah, that's true. He was a victim as much as everyone else. Because when he shows up, he barely has any recollection of what's happened. Yeah, to the point where he's about to start it all over again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Like, um, no, I think actually you were researching this entirely different. Oh thing. yeah, the, the kinetic energy of planetary motions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh yes, uh, did I really? It's a very good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. It's like, all it needs is the idea, and he'll get right on that and, oh, yeah, and yeah. solve solve all the their world's ills. But so who is left on this ship? 
Doc and, and Sarah Jane, they pop off in the TARDIS and leave crazy bananas Sorensen, no controller, no granddad. Granddad's dead as well, I think. No, no granddad's there. Okay, so granddad... Okay. Granddad's there to save the day, isn't he? Yeah, you're right. Actually, sorry, I take it back. So, effectively, this is now a spaceship of granddad. I think there are some other people, because I think... There's, like, the guy at the helm. The, the guy at helm gets it. Does he? <gasps> he does, yeah, you're right. He gets it, Sancho Panza gets it, whatever his face is, Dehan gets it, um, does, Solomar gets it. The other guy that was with Dehan... Isn't that Sancho Panza? Oh, is that, yeah, the, okay. the chunky dude. I mean, he's not Sancho Panza. He's, he's nowhere near as clever. But he's, he buys it. When he buys it, by the way, when he, he's looking up and his eyes just freaking... It was a Monty Feldman. Like, his eyeballs just plop out of his head. He looked like the, the Arnie mask on the surface of Mars in Total Recall. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's like, ah! And then he dies, yeah. Um, everyone except for Grandad dies. Of the people that we meet. I say, I, th- I think there is one or two other people on the bridge at the end. Oh, really? We might have met them before. I'm not sure. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember. I, I, th- I feel like there are, there are some other people hanging around. And he, Grandad, is, I think, talking to like a, another area of the ship. Oh, that's probably true. Because it's a huge get, ship, so there they must get, be other people as well. But they get attacked, actually. Maybe everyone else is fucking dead. All the sure. soldiers that we meet die, I think. Yeah. The the ones who, I mean, the ones who go down to the planet, they all die. They either get zapped and, and phased out or they fall into the pit. Yeah. A lot of people die. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Apart oh. from Sorensen, so it's all okay. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so now the two granddads. It's always oh, Grandad and Hobo. Hobo. <laughs> Grandad and Hobo <laughs> trekking across space. <laughs> so Sarah Jane actually does get some nice little things in this. I, I thought anyway. Okay. So there's there's one little moment where I think they possibly are running away at this point. Or I'm not sure. But Sarah Jane and the Doc are on... Ugh, I keep wanting to say Ursa Minor. What is it called? Uh, Zeta Minor. Zeta Minor. Ursa Minor is hitchhikers, isn't it? <laughs> They're, they're running around in the, the jungle, I think. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Jane just says something like, it's so dark. And the doctor is just kind of trying to placate her and say, oh, just hang on there. And then she grabs onto his scarf. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and yes. And just stops dead. It's like, hmm. <laughs> and she said, like, oh, what's the matter? Like, Nothing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and later on, she has like a throwaway line of, after they're getting pushed into like a prison cell or the quarantine or something, don't you get tired of being pushed around? <laughs> <laughs> it's quite, it's actually quite lighthearted in places, this. It is, they, yeah. There are lots of little quips. <laughs> there's, a, there's another line of hers in episode one where they find the tool, the hand tool. And he goes like, oh, look, th- there's this hand tool. And she's like, oh, so they must be humanoids. Humanoids? Like, well, they have hands. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like it's a fair deduction. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> this, this hand tool, which then becomes incriminating for them to have and then we get the lovely zoom from hand tool to the like, has evidence as yeah <laughs> the missing hand tool the shit. missing hand tool. <laughs> <laughs> like it was super cheesy but i kind of liked it <laughs> i loved it <laughs> but what are they like why is it incriminating they've already met her on the planet as far as we're aware, as far as they're aware, she hasn't used this one particular hand tool to bludgeon everyone else. Yeah. Like, what does it matter if she has that? Yeah, so she found a hand tool. Yeah, because 
Sal- Salamar's a dick, that's why. <laughs> he is a dick. It's like Roddenberry's dream came true, but for some reason there are no employment laws. Like, there's no, like, workplace harassment <laughs> paragraph. No. <laughs> the Federation exists, but the HR department is really lax on <laughs> recruitment. <laughs> so, surprise, surprise. Don't want to say I told you so, but... Oh, they don't go straight back to London, do they? They don't. <laughs> oh, the ending is beautiful. That scene of the TARDIS spinning is gorgeous. Spinning through space. Which looks oh. very New Who, by the way. As in yeah. New Who has... I did not remember having seen this in Classic Who, but this is clearly where New Who got it from. I think up until this point, maybe I thought this was a New Who thing. Uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. And there's a point where the Doctor's going all crazy and he gets a bit spinny around. Oh, when do you mean? I can't remember which part it was in, but I think maybe it's when he's gone. Has he gone to confront the monster? Is it when he, he oh, Gandalf's maybe, into the hole? Yeah, possibly when we, he's actually in the pit. Yeah, and he's he's like spinning around and it's all going warpy, warpy, and he's going. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so he's fallen into this bottomless antimatter pit, and then he just climbs out because <laughs> yeah, he's I'm right at the surface. Not quite sure how he climbed. <laughs> That, to me, works hand-in-hand hand with the ending that you said was, like, written in afterwards of um, how he saves Sorensen. Because Sorensen survives because he says, oh, I made a deal with the antimatter creature. I was going to return all the antimatter to it. Yeah. And in exchange for that, he's going to get me Sorensen. Which, I mean, to me that works because the antimatter creature will then also have helped him out of the pits. And the creature can. I mean, it can rise out of that pit, so that's not a problem. You can just, like, plop him out of there. Yeah. I wonder what they had envisioned before, like, the original screenplay, what what was envisioned by Lewis Marks there before there was a any kind of bartering with the antimatter creature. Because if he Gandalfs into this hole, there is no getting out of it. I feel like the Doc, the doc is always going to get out of that. I think it was just the... In the same way? Is he just going to climb out of there? I think he probably did, because Sorensen just literally... Like, the Doctor oh, he, is oh. out. In fact, it almost it's almost basically the Doctor has left that scene. And then you <laughs> cut back to it, and the Doc's still hanging around, and then plop, Sorensen is there as well. Yeah, that's true. Like, it almost felt like it was such a late decision. They'd filmed everything and then added an extra scene in, but... That is true. But I don't think that was the case. I think they probably obviously decided at, at script time that this is the way things should play, but... Yeah, it's really, it's only, it's Sorensen's resolution that is the extra thing. But so how do Everything you explain the Doctor escaping the pit? I think you're right. I think it's it's the, the monster creature. Helps him. Is helping. Okay. Well, it's either that or, because the pit is, is a bit of a weird anomaly thing to itself. Oh, so actually, like, you know what, maybe it could have... Laws of physics may not apply. That is, oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> so actually, maybe the whole story could otherwise have ended with Sorensen is now dead, he's fallen into the pit, done. And the doctor then just goes, I, actually, the deal that I had was I, the the guy let me out of the pits, the alien let me out of the pits so that I could return Sorensen and all the antimatter to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's no reason. Yeah, no, well, at this point, he has turned into a different being. Being, yeah, exactly. Like, there's no, I'm no- sorry, I don't know why I was confused about this before. Yeah. I, it makes sense, yeah. I feel like it, it was a weak rewrite that they did because there's nothing at this point that would make you think Sorazen can be reverted. Yeah, but redeemed in redeemed, any way. Yeah, he's but. he has personally killed so many people. Yeah, but I don't, personally, you know, I was never looking at him as like 
the original human Professor Sorensen is responsible for this. Like, he had been taken over by something oh, yeah, quite, yeah. He's quite a, clearly. He's a zombie, as in not a zombie. He's a werewolf. Yeah. He's an anti You know what I mean. He's, he's anti-man. an anti-man. <laughs> he's anti-man. Anti-man is here to save the day. <laughs> oh, this is what I was going to say earlier, just looking through my notes as well. Go for it. We were trying to work out the in the bridge, there's where the commander and second command sit. Yeah. I was trying to think if they had, like, control panels. I think they do have control panels. But the vast majority of what they have is a transparent desk. Yes, that's right. Which means we get a lovely up-the-nose shot <laughs> through the desk at one point in, I think, episode three, which I was slightly taken aback with. <laughs> I'm sure the actor loved it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also, at the the exact angle we're at, it could be, like, an up-the-skirt shot if they were so... If... Tired. If in the year 37,000 they allowed women on the bridge, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just just very strange angle for the shot to go for. Why do you think the Doc actually collected the crystals in the first place? Because this, this becomes what he thinks is a problem at one point. He thinks, oh no, I'm responsible for the ship not being able to leave because I've got this box of crystals. Turns out that Sorensen has left a with whole even batch more of it with yeah. even more on. But yeah, it, it. Oh wait, no. I think he explained it. How? I think he said something like, "This is how I could talk to the monster." Or well, he uses that. To, that's what he barters with the monster, right? He he gives the monster the. He has his little box of Harrogate toffees, <laughs> like his little tin. He provides that as an example for the monster or the creature. Like, look, I, I'll give you this now as a down payment. I'll give you the rest. I'll make sure that you get the rest as well. No, because I think he holds on to it. I think it's more, like you said earlier, that it's the opposing sides of magnets. Ah, uh-huh. okay. But, but when he shows up on the bridge, before he's spoken with the, the beast... Before he's had a chance to do the opposing magnets mockapot thing, he tells the um, the starship crew, like the bridge crew, look, the reason we're going back to the planet is because there's antimatter on this ship. Yeah, here it is in my hand. Dispose of it. And Salomar's like, you crazy old space madman! You know, you old fool! Give me that now. You're going to kill us all. And then they take the tin. I don't remember how the tin comes back to the doctor. But they are going to dispose of it. They're going to dispose of everything, right? So he is ready to... He's taken this thing, which he knows he will need to communicate with the alien. But then he's very ready. He's prepared to get rid of it again. I think at this point, he's seeing it as, well, if I get rid of this, then they can all leave. Like He sees it as, like, his his mistake. I think you're right, though. I think he does does get that back. (laughs) He does, right? Because, well... Maybe he doesn't. Maybe maybe they do jettison it, and then that one's... You never have to worry about that antimatter. It's back Oh, so he, back he loses his Harrogate Toffees thing. I guess so. Does he not give that... When he's in the pit, does he not have the Harrogate Toffees tin there? I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. But you know what? I'm going to find out at some point in the future, because I'm 100% re-watching the serial at some point. I mean, not now, not tomorrow. In a few years' time. <laughs> But yeah, this is definitely on the list of, of serials I'd rewatch. And I also wonder if maybe, uh, I mean, the next one's probably going to be amazing. I'm sorry, I know that the next one's going to be amazing, but the next one might also be a very good example of it. A serial to introduce a non-Hoovian to. Uh. I wonder if this one would fit the bill. It's very accessible. If you're a fan of Star Trek, for example, yeah, like this would be a great stepping stone. Yeah, I think... 
I think you've got something here, actually, because it's got the monster element as well. Monster element, but it's, it's got not, a Sonic in there. Yeah, but it's not It's not too focused on one one thing or another as well. That It's also a standalone alien. It's not like the return of the Cyberman or the yeah. return of yeah, whatever. Right? And it's all gorgeous. Beautiful. Like, literally, my my note for when we see the the id, id monster yeah. at the end of episode one is, what the fuck is that? It's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> I just wrote Predator Admiral Akbar, but my very first line of the part of my notes, my very first note was, we've only seen this alien planet for a second and I already love this episode. <laughs> you know what? I had written a, a score for this episode before, like last night when I watched this, I wrote, yeah. I wrote, wrote down my rating. I'm going to raise it a little bit. Oh my. I'm going to bump oh it up. Oh my goodness. I haven't actually written a score down yet. There are, there are a couple of references that the Doctor makes to things. He he quotes Shakespeare. Yes. Um, that's in my notes as well. There's a soundbite. Part two, soundbite 735. I met him once, you know. Who? Shakespeare. Charming fellow. Dreadful actor. He's already met Shakespeare. Yeah. We have an episode where he meets Shakespeare, where Tennant meets Shakespeare. We've not had a classic where he's met Shakespeare. No. Interesting. But we have a new who where he meets Shakespeare. Yes. The the Shakespeare Code. Shakespeare Code? Shakespeare Code. I I would imagine so. Yeah, with uh, Tennant and Rose. Yeah. And the three witches, the alien witches, whatever. Yeah. I I don't remember it being a great episode. No, it's it's a terrible (laughs) episode. It's dreadful, but... Surely in that episode, it's the first time the Doctor meets Shakespeare. I don't really recall how it's set up, but could I don't recall him ep- played that way, yeah. Well, he certainly doesn't say, um, oh, maybe you remember me, or, oh, well, I've got a different face now, so he probably doesn't remember me. Oh, crap, you know what? Maybe he does say exactly that. <laughs> it's quite possible. We haven't gotten to it yet, but another really fantastic episode, City of Death, super-duper culty episode, uh, the fourth doctor says that he met Shakespeare as a boy. Oh, I think he quotes Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. I think I think I read a true saying he quoted another Shakespeare player as well, but, oh, really? which I oh. didn't pick up on because he, he makes one very obvious quote of which I think must be the Romeo and Juliet. I don't know Shakespeare that well, I must say. Nor I. The other thing which I I noted down, which I don't know if is a direct reference or not, but I know I only know of this through Red Dwarf. It's a very tangential thing. Oh, it's Captain Oates. Oh, really? Okay. Which is. I think the the real quote, I don't know, I've been struggling to find it properly, but I think I'm just going outside and I may be some time. And the doctor says something very much along those lines. I think I think he says, I'm going out now and maybe some time. When, oh, I can't actually remember the setup, but he's, I think it's basically when he's going to the pit. He's, he's going to... Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's... What I understand of this is only through Red Dwarf's retelling of this, this historical <laughs> event. But Captain Oates is in the Antarctic... Uh-huh. Or something like on, a, on an expedition, realizes there aren't enough resources for the crew. He's ill. Sacrifices himself. Sacrifices himself. So when the doctor says this, this sounds like a "I'm not going to come back." Yeah, kind of thing. Which I'm pretty sure he's smiling at the time. I don't think anyone else is kind of like playing it like always oh, going going to his death kind of situation. But it's a very on the nose phrase. That's incredible. I didn't yeah. know that. Not knowing this line, I, I didn't pick up on that at all. But that adds a whole new element to his, I mean, his, his willingness to sacrifice himself for the greater good. Yeah, because I think we've already mentioned that in previous episodes, that he, he's been quite blasé, actually, about his own safety. Yeah. And just sort of like, no, oh yeah, I'll, I'll go do this. <laughs> might, might not come back, but 
Well, give it a shot. What about Sarah Jane? Well, yeah, she would be screwed. <laughs> she would have been screwed. Well, maybe um, maybe she has the TARDIS key at this point, and, and she seems quite competent, by the way. She seems very familiar with all the gadgets in the TARDIS. Yeah. they mi- She might be able to figure out how to get her get the TARDIS back to her own time. Yeah, that's true. Because I can't remember, actually, what he, he asked. Well, the Doctor makes this a plan very early on of, like, we need this, and I need to do this. And Sarah Jane pipes up, well, you should do that, and I'll go back to the TARDIS to get the thing that I'll you need. I'll go get the wibbly-wobbly. Yeah. And I can't remember what he says, but I don't remember having understood what he was asking for. Oh, and no. Yeah. It's like, it's sci-fi gadget. Yeah. yeah. And Sarah Jane, like like you say, she goes, looks like she gets like a medical bag out. Yeah. It's an old doctor's bag, I think. Yeah. Which is also lovely. The and doctor has his own doctor's bag. Yeah. yeah. And she rifles through and she knows exactly what she's looking for. And yeah. Yeah. That, that's nice. Well, I didn't quite like up with all that setup though was outside the TARDIS at this point the military dudes are putting clamps on it. Oh yeah. And so they somehow clamp the door shut so Sarah Jane is locked inside. Well it's like a T-mat thing. They transmat her well the whole TARDIS. Yeah. To so the spaceship. Can, can you do that with the TARDIS? You can just Yeah, it's just a box. I guess you could do the that. TARDIS? I yeah. feel like you couldn't in New Who. I feel like that would not be on. We have units in New Who, well, we will have units in New Who. We, I don't think we've gotten that far yet, but we'll have them just like pick up the TARDIS in with a crane and move it, or maybe with a helicopter or something. Uh, so it is on the from the outside, it's just a wooden box, and you can move it around. I guess it uh, probably doesn't even weigh more than a than you'd imagine a wooden box to weigh. Yeah, I think it just it just struck me as a little bit. It is a little bit yeah. too easy. <laughs> How they just slapped on a things, couple of things around the outside. I thought it was a little ridiculous that they they do that. They transmit it to the uh, to the spaceship, and then they act super surprised that it's no longer there. Like they walk around and they look around, like where did they go? It's like you you just did it, guy. Like <laughs> you put those clamps on there. I don't think I was right with that. <laughs> okay, here's another thing: weird technology used, maybe not in a super good way by the Federation. Just going to call it the Federation. The magnetically locked cell. The inescapable magnetically locked cell, which just has a window you push down. <laughs> the magnetic lock, in fact. You just push that down. Wait, is this... It's Doc and Sarah Jane. Is this actually a cell? Or do they just lock them inside the research ship? Is this still on the planet? It's on the planet, yeah. Yeah. It might be, Maybe it is just in the research think... ship. But the doctor says, like, oh, we can't get out of here. It's magnetically locked. Yeah. And then he just, and she goes like, what about the window? And then he just opens it. No, I think, see, I think this is Sarah Jane being clever. I think Sarah oh. Jane notices that, they've, well, they've already realized that the power is really low because the only thing that's working is the distress signal, which has got its own little power source. Okay. The rest of the ship is basically humming on very low, low Ooh. power. And Sarah Jane's just sit there all cockily going, well, we could escape. And the <laughs> doctor's going, no, we couldn't possibly escape. It's like, well, what about the window? It's magnetically sealed. <laughs> but the power's really low. Oh. <laughs> I missed that addition to it. Yeah. That is clever. Okay, so we we do get we get more agency from Sarah Jane than, yeah. than I remember. Them. I think she has a couple of moments. I think I think you're right that she she does turn into messenger through a lot of it. But I I think she's she's part of the story. 
definitely throughout this. Okay. She never gets sidelined, I don't think. In, not no, in quite doesn't. the same way as, as she has been before. Yeah. So another thing with Sarah Jane, which we've not talked about, uh-huh. which I never fully understood, is she has a weird spidey sense going on in this episode with the antimatter. Oh, yes. Not... It, I- Yes, predominantly Sarah Jane, but I think other people as well. Do you mean the one where like they stretch out their fingers and they're just yeah. sort of standing still? Does that, does that still? happen to other people? I thought it was I think just it happens to. I think it happens to one more person before it happens to her the first time. It happens to her like right at the start of them arriving on the planet. Yeah, and I think it happens. It also happens to the um, one of the dudes on one of the scientists who gets killed in inside the ship. Uh, okay. The guy who's like, oh, come on, Sorensen, it's it's getting really late. We need yeah. to get back and whatever. And then he goes back on his own. And then he also starts freezing and his, like, his fingers stretch in a weird, really creepy uh, way. I think so. I don't, I don't remember. I've not got notes for it anyway. I don't remember that being properly explained. Because there's such a focus on it happening to Sarah Jane. Yeah, you're right. And it, I don't know. It, it I want, wondered if it was going to come around that she had some natural ability to it. And that would be a plot point that would be her saving the day oh that's really good but it seemed to just i don't know that it didn't really it didn't really do anything did it, it didn't no even it didn't act as a warning she describes it when it first happened and she's reunited with the doctor in, in part one she describes it as something like my life leaving my body or something like that my 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 mind leaving my body oh right yeah that rings a vague bell and i wonder if maybe that is sort of step one to Sorensen's step seven or whatever. Like, his mind has already left his body and it's been replaced by antimatter, dude. So you think she... Because not, not everyone seems to get affected this way. Like, other people are around. Well, other people get material and, and killed. Get, yeah. Yeah. But they, they don't have the same kind of minor electrical shock no. thing before getting attacked. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you think it's just an indication that... People are affected in different ways, and some people would absorb it and turn into an anti-man person, and I, some people would just get killed by it. I mean, I, I'm only basing the turning into an anti-man person on her line, like the the parallelism of her line and what actually happens to Sorensen. Yeah, but that might also just be a coincidence. The it. it it's equally likely that she just happened to be nearby, or you know, the anti-man happened to be nearby when she was walking past there, and that's why she had that reaction. But it wasn't near enough for her to die. Or maybe it was sated at that point. It had already killed a couple of humans, and it didn't need more. I think when it becomes a big point later on, because they they use the fact that she has this reaction to work out that it's Sorensen in a roundabout kind of way. Oh, I I feel like at this point, it's pretty clear it's Sorensen, because he's the only guy who's around. Yeah, that's (laughs) true. Everyone else is kind well, of... Well, to us, it's in- definitely clear. But to them, for some weird reason, it's not. So- I think, well, it, it, it becomes a strange end of a line of questioning from a doctor. Whereas, like, Sarah Jane's explaining she had to sit this, this feeling and went and saw this guy get killed. And the doctor says, well, who was with you? Oh, there was no one. Oh, wait, apart from Professor Sorensen. <laughs> <laughs> you mean... The only other person who's, who's alive on this planet. Yeah. No, I, this is on the ship at this time, but like you'd just been talking to him. And it's like, that's that's your thought afterwards. The guy whose entire team is dead. Yeah. Yeah, that should have been the bigger clue, really. You know, you know the... Who the, has no explanation for it, by the way. No. The jump to logic that 
arsehat controller had, mm-hmm. maybe he just jumped to the wrong conclusion with people. <laughs> the actual kind of, well, if there's a load of dead people and you're alive, line of questioning is not a bad line to go down. Yeah. <laughs> just pinpoint the this, this <laughs> single dude that was with them the entire time. <laughs> not the two random people that turned up afterwards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of the two random people who turned up afterwards, normally when they show up somewhere, there is the obligatory scene of how did you get here? Why are you here? What are you doing? Are you spying on us? Are you doing something else? Whatever. Like, basically, how how have you traveled here without a spaceship? Yeah. In this one, we get none of that. There's, I think there's a little questioning. I think um, RSAT controller is... He's he's very intrigued, like, where they've come from, who they are. I don't... I don't think he does ask about a spaceship. I think you might be right about that. Hmm. Or maybe they do assume that the TARDIS is a spaceship. It just... they Maybe they're enlightened enough in the 38th century. They do ask the dock for entry to it. Sorry, I got you off there. Yeah, I think I think they must just realize that that could be a vessel of some kind. Okay. All right, that's fair. Yeah, that is a fair fair argument. Which I'm kind of surprised most other alien species don't. Like, <laughs> this thing that looks nothing like anything that we have. That's such a nice line of the doctors, by the way. When in that scene where they are... They're asking the doctor for ingress. Salomar is asking yeah. for for entry to the TARDIS, and the doctor's just sort of he hesitates and he goes, "Well, as you can see, the exterior is modelled after an old London police box." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, no, I can't see that because I have no idea I what you're talking like, about. <laughs> those, that's all Aramaic to me, and even Aramaic is Aramaic to me because I don't even know what that is. <laughs> all right, so we've discussed quite a lot of things here. Should we try to rate this? Let's have a go. <laughs> and now it is time to rate this did we laugh or hate this bing bong bing bong hey la 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 ratings well what what do we say in a summarized form about this then firstly i super enjoyed it uh-huh secondly it's got some amazing production values mm-hmm. partly to do with point one <laughs> i don't know i'm not going to carry on with the point thing no, that's fine I, I think there are some naff points in this serial you can't escape that the the acting with the the deaths of the military guys at the start i thought was way over the top and i was i was kind of laughing my head off every time they they almost were having orgasms as they were dying (laughs) (laughs) like the director was probably having a bit of fun with this but yeah i'm not quite sure if that really added much um but there's there's a lot going on in this but there's not too much to confuse you, I don't think. I think most things, you kind of get what's going on. You know who's who, even though they've mishmashed to quite separate plot ideas uh-huh. of some kind of invisible monster and a Jekyll and Hyde thing. But they relate them together quite well. And it all seems to flow from one concept to the other quite well. And I think that's quite a, quite a, a feat of, you know, plot wrangling and actual production and script writing and and di- directing actually to get all of that working and they they spent time making wonderful sets to to make it look good at the same time and yeah i don't know i was i was very happily along for this ride through all four episodes i think like there there have been two episode serials where i felt like things have been dragging or you know dipping in quality and i didn't didn't really notice that at any point during this and i think 
partly because they were just they were little bits thrown in there, which we've, I've mentioned already. That just a kind of anchored. We talked about depth, you know, a little bit of backstory and culture, or or a little quip here here or there to make you identify with characters or or something like that. And I I think it yeah it just had that all kind of all roundness feeling to it. So oh here we go. <laughs> I was struggling because. I kind of wanted to go really high, but then I, I know that there are some problems with this. I know this probably isn't the best thing out there. So I've kept it at a nice high, but a kind of middling high of a nice echoing 4.4. 4.4! Oh, yeah. man. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Was that higher expecting? Uh, yeah, no, I had you as low as three point three at one point. So four point four, okay, <laughs> okay, that's brilliant. Yeah, uh, I wholeheartedly agree. I think there's not much I want to add to that. I want to say, in rating this immediately after watching this four-parter, inspired by some of our listeners, I did a pro and con list. Oh, and in the pro column, I have excellent pacing throughout. And I think the four-part structure works very well in that favour, or to its favour. Production values out of this world. The Federation outfits, the spaceship interior and exterior, the miniatures, the the jungle in particular. Beautiful. Everything beautiful. And then I've also just written like a story about a mysterious Satan pit planet. Turns out to be more of an alien thing and then turns out to be more of a disco werewolves on a spaceship story. The fact that we are taken on this journey along these four episodes. It's the equivalent of serials where you have multiple locations. In this case, we have only two locations, but we have multiple themes and multiple genres within one story. And it, it's exciting. It makes it much, much more rewatchable. And, and it, I mean, these four episodes flew by for me. Yeah. Last pro, I mean, there are so many pros, we've talked about so many pros, but the last pro that I've noted here is Tom Baker himself, who is just absolutely marvellous and occasionally utterly insane, <laughs> when he's just wide-eyed staring into the middle distance while other people are having conversations, just like carrying on, on about, carrying about their business around him. It's brilliant stuff. In the con column, I've said, not enough Tom Baker, though. I would have liked even more of him solving problems and maybe less of a focus on the other characters, more of a focus on him interacting with them, him doing. Um, but it's fine. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I feel as strongly about it anymore. I don't think there was quite enough Sarah Jane in this one. Biggest cons for me were the disco werewolves or the disco werewolf. Utterly unnecessary. And also, we haven't quite talked about it, but the doc punching and wrestling with people like getting physically violent. He punches a dude in the face. Oh, yeah. And then shortly thereafter, he tasers someone. He tasers the werewolf. But like he punches Salomar. He punches yeah. Salomar right in the face. And that is... We had this conversation during the Suntaran experiment. That is a Pertwee element. It doesn't feel like it... Sh it belongs like it should be included in a Tom Baker story. And, and it just kind of like took me out of it for a little moment. But mainly because we've talked about it before. So, like I said, I bumped up my score over the course of this review. Yeah. I started on a 3.9. Oh. And I bumped it up to a 4.1. Ah. Oh, very nice. 4.1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should we listen to some Listener Minis? Yeah, let's do that. Listener Minis, now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Writer Rooney and Disco Werewolves. 
We have a good few listener minis for this one. We do indeed. Not entirely surprising, given that it is an awesome episode. That's what we thought, anyway. Yeah. (laughs) If it's not entirely clear to you what this serial is about, then perhaps you would like to consult the very first listener mini contribution. This first one out of the gate comes from Paul Forber. Hello, Paul. Hey there, Paul. Paul has sent in a uh, both synopsis and mini-mini review. And we're going to leave the synopsis out this time. Please go to whobackone.com, read that synopsis, read this mini. It very nicely encapsulates what this serial is about. But we will read the conclusion to it, in which Paul says... Overall, Plans of Evil looked great and involved typically interesting ideas, the most fascinating of which might well be the Doctor's power, and by extension, the might and influence Time Lords could, but seldom did, wield. Nice stuff. Please, I repeat... Please go to whobackone.com and read Paul Forber's full mini, inclusive of the synopsis. And in the meantime, and or after, please reach out to Paul and give him a high five from us. He is at Wordsmith Paul. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Next up, we have Trenton Bless. Hey there, Trenton. Hey there. Hello. Trenton says, Elizabeth Sladen cited this as her favorite story to work on. I can see why. This is the story where the Doctor and Sarah Jane finally fully clicked. Though they did have a bit of clickage prior to this story, this is the first time it really worked. At this point, Tom had settled into the role. Are we on first name terms with him, are we? (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Baker. (laughs) Please, Mr. Baker was my father. (laughs) When he walks into a room, you know he's the guy that's going to save your hide. Sometimes he comes off as a little more alien than he has been since Hartnell's portrayal, and that's fine. This fits well with the bohemian wanderer that the fourth Doctor is. This script is the first completely handled by the team of Philip Hinchcliffe and Robert Holmes with the previous scripts being originally commissioned by the previous production team. It's not a bad first attempt, but it definitely got the job done. Hinchcliffe concedes they were borrowing from Forbidden Planet and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Sorensen's degradation by antimatter to the level of a brute also reminds me of the effect that primordial slime had on people in Inferno. Yes, exactly. But Planet of Evil still feels original. For a 70s serial, says Trenton, the jungles of Zeta Minor are very well done. It's almost like they went to the jungle to film this serial. Even in a modern sense, this is a great set. So overall, what do I give this serial, he says? Well, it definitely earned its score of 3.5 out of 5. Holy moly. 3.5 out of 5. Nice. Uh, very nice. Very nice. We're going to cut it off there because we have a 250 word limit and uh, this one goes a teeny tiny bit over and there is a teeny tiny bit left. So to whobackwhen.com you shall go. That's right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Trenton. People of podcast land who are not Trenton, please follow Trenton on Twitter. He is at Trenton Bless. That's Bless with two what's, Jim? Oh, I've accidentally drawn a bit of line in this sand. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Next up, we have Peter Zunich. The Zunmeister. Hey there. Hello, Peter. Peter starts. I get the impression that at some point in development, this story was a true thriller. The pit to hell and the beast within are great concepts. Both they and the corpses are hauntingly beautiful and would fit perfectly into any fright fest. Truthfully, I'm torn here. Many elements are extremely interesting. The planet itself is well realized, and the concept of an antimatter guardian between two universes is most intriguing. There's also wonderful dialogue about energy at Al. 
Yet with all this good stuff, it falls short of a great cereal. Why? Well, ultimately, it feels like no one was having fun of this production. What? I think I disagree there, Peter. <laughs> but Peter continues, Everyone seems tired. Doc, Sarah, and Vashinsky are passable, but everyone else acts like they're getting over the flu, doing their best, but secretly just hoping for the end of the day. The set's trend towards bland, pacing plods at times. <gasps> What's going on here, Peter? <laughs> and there's no blazing action. Additionally, Beast Mode Sorensen is as nonsensical as it was in Inferno. Agree wholeheartedly. Why show devolved makeup man when red outline man is so cool? That's your point. <laughs> <laughs> Retcon that one thing and the series instantly goes up half a point. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> Talks my loads. All that said, says Peter, the rewatch factor is surprisingly high. Agreed. Conceptually, it's so cool that one can comfortably revisit this series quite often. It's warm and safe, like watching Monty Python, even though you know every single word. So until next time, I wave my private crystals at your antimatter. <laughs> your mother was a crustacean outline, and your father smelled of anti-man. Anti-man! Anti-man. <laughs> I wave my private crystals at your antimatter. <laughs> Aunt Peter gives this 2.3. Oh, I felt like you enjoyed it more than that, Peter. Yeah. No, no, I will not question our reviews. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you very, very much. If you want to meet Peter on Twitter, I'm afraid you just can't uh, because he's not on Twitter. But you can go on to Amazon and find his Minecraft stories just look for Mindcrafting and Peter Zunich, and you'll find them. And last but not least, we have Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hi, Michael. Hello, Michael. Love you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with the things that Michael liked. Oh, what are they? Michael says... The spooky alien jungle and camouflage seemingly indestructible baddie. Shades of Predator, perhaps. Oh, yes. Another visit to this planet, please. Mm. Excellent OTT deaths of the military and scientist space dudes. Ah, and husky corpses. Not sure I agree with that one. <laughs> no, I'm not sure if I agree with that one either. Husky corpses, yes. Yes. <laughs> and the last point that Michael liked was a drone with creepy eyeball. Oh, take yeah. that off your liked list and add it to your loved list. <laughs> Then Michael follows that up with some beefs. Beef number one. Salomar and Vashinsky, surely the worst Starship Command duo ever. <laughs> Who put these guys in charge? They bicker and disagree, fight and launch coups and counter-coups against one another on most occasions with the crew standing by passively. Maybe the crew are just used to it. Can somebody please send these two on, on some awful corporate away day bonding exercise? <laughs> <laughs> I want that to be the next episode now. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, one of them's dead. But <laughs> I wouldn't, it wouldn't stop HR to send him on a course. He's dragging him around like it's a weekend on, uh, with uh, Bernie's. Yeah. <laughs> Michael's next beef is Medical Diagnosis Award. The doctor's assessment of a husky corpse. He's dead. <laughs> no shit, doctor. Moron Award. The bozos tasked with jettisoning the antimatter, failing to notice a tub has been stolen by Sorensen. Can't you people count? No, they can't. They're too pissed off about having to lug it one place and then take it back again. In the dark, no less. <laughs> <laughs> 
and the what the fuck moment. Did the doctor just punch someone in the face? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And in summary, an entertaining, albeit average, yawn. The rating that Michael has given this is 2.6 out of 5 Husky Antimatter Victims. (laughs) That's an amazing rating. (laughs) That is a good rating. (laughs) I may have been inspired by this format when it comes to writing my ratings, the things I liked and the things I didn't like, or the beefs. And I may have been inspired by previous reviewers who were more enthusiastic about Doctor Who than we were (laughs) to rate this one very highly. And then they went and pulled the rug out from me by rating it averagely. (laughs) (laughs) We did press pause between our ratings and going through your ratings podcast land and uh, did you did you at the point at the time realize that this is the highest rated doctor who story so far for you on who back when i don't think i had at this point no oh okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah i super loved it oh it's great uh well hang on wait we're not done with this we're one not yet. done with michael yet are we? <laughs> sorry michael people who are not michael you can follow michael on twitter he is at bad underscore movie underscore club so that's it <laughs> right that is it thank you so much for listening what have we got coming up next up we have a new episode namely oh what's it called the snowman is it called the snowman it is called the snowman it's called the snowman it features with it's pretty good well with pretty good <laughs> i don't remember if it's good the combination uh, of with and i is even better oh yes and then we have a classic Oh, it's You've one... You've been waiting for this, haven't oh, you? Oh, man, have I been waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? It's Pyramids of Mars. That's right. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I'm not even going to click on the Wikipedia thing, because last time I, I clicked on it and I got the antimatter prelude, but, which is the worst shot. I, I might actually see if I can edit Wikipedia and take off Teen Wolf in spasm mode and, <laughs> and put on... <laughs> evil superman shot <laughs> decipher that if you will <laughs> and cut that if you will <laughs> no, people will get it <laughs> that deserves a, like a video blooper with a side-by-side comparison of what we see in the serial and what went through your brain <laughs> no no one can ever see what goes through my brain <laughs> so how do you feel about recording on wine it's a slow burn I it think. is a slow burn we normally record on vodka <laughs> i think um I think it's just started hitting in the last five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Fred, no, we'll be on vodka the next time. People can follow you on Twitter as well, right? They can. I'm at Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the what? The Who. <laughs> <laughs> Twit Who. And they can follow you as well. What are you at? I'm at Ponkin. Pon- Don't ask me why. Pon what? <laughs> Ken. Oh, hi, Ken. <laughs> no, the wine has hit now. <laughs> Dearest podcast land, thank you so much for listening. You've been a lovely audience. Until the next time, rock on and cha-chao. See ya. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hooray! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. 
Check us out on Instagram for behind-the-scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when? Ladies and gents, thank you so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gents. <laughs>